Lamar. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get crunk. You know why? Huh? It's hurricane season. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Hello and welcome to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, your host and beat writer for the Miami Hurricanes. This episode, we're joined once again by our buddy Kelvin Harris, three-time national champion and starting center in 89, 90, 91. Is that right? Did I overcompensate for you there? Did I give you three years starting? Uh, year and a half. Year and a half. Uh, 91, a little bit of 91. A little bit of 1991. Either way, you were part of the championship tradition, which gives you the kind of uh, street cred we need on the show. And, of course, uh, we've also got uh, our producer, Mike Zimmerman, who is a diehard Canes fan and just spent the weekend in New Orleans. Or actually, the week because, you know. Traitor. When you when you get to the when you get to go to the national championship game, you got like a week's worth of media. What was that like, Mike? Let me ask you that first. What was uh, the experience like? Because it's been a while since the Hurricanes have been anywhere near a national championship, and uh, I don't I haven't experienced that yet beyond whenever other teams come down here to play in the Orange Bowl. So I, I, I got to say that you know as a Canes fan, it was kind of a little depressing, you know, because it was like. All right, Miami used to be here. This used to be like their time. They they played in these kinds of games, and just the atmosphere was unbelievable. You know, had fans on both teams walking around the city, um, and it's it was a little depressing knowing that man. Like Miami is nowhere near this right now. Yeah, and it's probably going to be a little while before they get back there again. Um, Kelvin, when you watched the game last night, I guess we'll start this sh- this episode with this conversation. How far away is Miami, in your eyes, from being a legitimate national title contender after seeing what those two teams put on the field? It's interesting. It, it's, it's tough to say. It could be anywhere from, bear with me on this, one to three to four years. And I say one because depending on who's the quarterback next year, and what happens with the O-line as far as transfers, Jalen Rivers and whatnot, uh, defensively, we're there. Uh, maybe we get a grad transfer corner or a JUCO corner to add depth. But defensively, that hasn't been the problem. It's been offensively. So, you know, everyone seems to think we're going to go to the spread offense and all of a sudden Mark Pope is going to become – that Mark Pope of Southridge, who just ran nine routes and bubble screens. Okay, maybe that happens. Um, I'm looking more for, for Jeremiah Payton and uh, Michael Redding and maybe even Restrepo to um, break out and hopefully get more consistency out of D. Wiggins along with the tight ends. If we can just get some consistency at quarterback with the schedule that we have next year, when you break down the schedule, if we beat Michigan State um, at at Michigan State, and then we can handle North Carolina and Virginia Tech, because honestly, I don't see Virginia, you know, they lost a lot this year on defense. I don't see them being as good. If we can handle North Carolina and Virginia Tech, you know, at that point, to be honest with you, 
I think we got a shot. If the if that and, and that's what a caveat. If the mindset is different, if the kids have decided they want to win a championship, because if the kids decide they want to win a championship, we have enough to make it work. But that's a big big if, and the kids on our team haven't shown they want to win a championship in a long time. Well. I'm going to respectfully disagree with you. And, and Mike Zimmer, I'm going to get your opinion on this question in a second. Uh, for me, I think they're at least three years away. And, and I mean the 2022 season. Um, part of that is I don't think you're going to bring in a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive line coach, and all of a sudden go from six and seven to the college football playoff in one year. I think there's going to be some transition next year. I think your best players are the freshmen and the redshirt freshmen. And it's tough to ask a group to sort of come together that quickly and, and really excel on the field. I think in three years, the freshmen and the redshirt freshmen are going to be, you know, juniors and seniors. And I like the group that they've got as far as some of those young guys are concerned. I like the fact that they're going to be in the spread system now for three years. (laughs) So I think that's a little bit more realistic in my eyes. Even then, you look at the talent that was on the field yesterday and you look at the talent that's on this team, there's basically right now coming back two potential first-round picks on this roster, Greg Rousseau and Brevin Jordan. Mm-hmm. There's really nothing else in terms of high, you know, caliber first-round talent. Um Bolden. Well, Bubba Bolden, right. I don't know that he's necessarily first-round material, but he's certainly maybe second-day material right now. Um, But it's just the point is both of those teams were just overwhelmingly talented. And and then you look at the quarterback position. I mean, you had the number one pick in next year's draft in Joe Burrows, and you had the number one pick in the draft after that in Trevor Lawrence. So um, not that you need to have the number one pick at quarterback to win a national champion, but – I'd still say, um, you know, maybe you give Tyler Van Dyke three years of, of getting ready for that moment. I, I think three years is a more fair expectation. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, you got a chance to, you know, talk to Tyler Van Dyke, see him. Um, he was a winner. Who won the national championship at quarterback last year? No, I know. He was a freshman. <laughs> who, who, who won the quarterback for Alabama two years ago? He was a freshman. But I'll right. say this. Both of those guys were Tua and Trevor Lawrence were five-star. Everybody in the country knew that they were studs. Like, maybe we didn't know Tua at the time as far as, hey, he can come in off the bench and replace Jalen Hurts and lead the team to a national championship. But – Certainly, you know, he was highly touted coming out of high school. Tyler is highly touted, but not at that, you know, well, hey, me, he's the number me, one me, high school quarterback me, in the country. Let me ask you a question. You're in paradise. What did your eyes tell you? Great arm. Unbelievable talent in terms of arm strength and the ability to get the ball to where it needs to go. But accuracy. Accuracy was very, very good. Okay. Now, when you interviewed him, what did you think? Smart kid, good leader. Yeah, I mean, listen, he has the ingredients. I'm just saying I think 
the roster in general, I mean, you look at that receiver position, um, you know, D. Wiggins has the body to be a true number one receiver and the, certainly the speed and talent. But I don't know that he has what he needs upstairs in terms of understanding the offense and um, consistency oh, to be a, a legit number one option at that receiver position. So, you know, you got Jeremiah Payton, who I think is going to be the best receiver on the team next season. Um, you got some good guys in this incoming class, Michael Redding. But I'm going to turn it over to our buddy Mike Zimmerman, who was actually there most of the week. How far away do you think Miami is from contending for a national title? Uh, Manny, I think I agree with you. I, I think it's three, if not more, years uh, until Miami can even compete with, with all these top programs. Not only is it just a talent difference, but if you just look at these guys, if you watch the game last night, they just look different than anybody that Miami has, barring you know Rousseau and Brevin Jordan. These guys just look different. They're bigger. They're faster. They're stronger. Miami can't. There's no way they can compete with that until they get a few recruiting cycles in here to even to even match the depth of talent that 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 these teams offer. Yeah, I agree with you totally, and and I think that's that that was sort of the jarring sort of thing that I took away from the game was Miami's got two bona fide studs, Bubba Bolden, who could be a third stud, and then you look at the rest of the roster and you say, wow, like. Clemson and, and LSU are just on another level, especially at the at the skill position. I was actually watching the game on the ESPNU broadcast, which had the four coaches, um, the Oklahoma State coach, Vanderbilt coach, Derek Mason, and, uh, you know, Gundy from Oklahoma State. And then I think the new Boston College coach, who was the DB's coach at Ohio State. And uh, I think it was the TCU coach, Gary Patterson. And just listen to those guys talk about football and the adjustments that were being made. And they talked about how Brent Venables, the coordinator for Clemson, called a phenomenal game. And yet you look at the stat line and they still gave up 600 yards, you know, of offense and their guys were where they needed to be. And I kept thinking to myself, like, man, just, you know, as good as we think the Miami defense is and they were pretty good, could we have counted on the secondary to be where they needed to be and defend the way that they needed to defend Joe Burrow? No, I mean, those guys still have to grow up. They still have to mature. And this year, I think they're going to take a step. But it it, it is more than a year away. And I know Kelvin, look, I love Kelvin, man. <laughs> he's, he's the ultimate optimist. And that's why I love having him on the show because, you know, a lot of people call me Captain Negative. But I, I just but, think. But no, I get, I get where you're coming from because realistically, I agree with you uh, on the receiver position. But you you, you got to look at the reality of the schedule. Mm-hmm. Okay. Quit, Temple's losing their best player on defense. Now, they're going to be tough, but if the offense, if, if Lassie is as advertised, we'll beat Temple. We'll beat Wagner. We'll beat UAB. And I think we'll beat Michigan State. All right. So then you get into conference play. I know Duke and Georgia Tech beat us, but with the right quarterback and this guy's our offensive coordinator, that's not going to happen. So to me, it boils down to Virginia Tech, who we got to go to, North Carolina, who we got at home. North Carolina's quarterback is going to be better. They got 
the majority of their people back on offense, they lose their left tackle. They lose a couple of guys in the offensive line. We got Greg Russo coming back, and our DBs, for the most part, are coming back. The whole secondary, the whole, you know, we're going to have some young linebackers. But one key thing with them, after the first half, we figured them out. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I, you know, if you go back to, to my podcast before the game, they were pretty simple. And that's why they went six and six. They can hit you with some, some explosive plays like Clemson because they've got a good receiver set, but we got them at home. Mm-hmm. And if we are, if we're doing good, despite what all these fans say, if we're doing good, if we look good, if we go into the Carolina game and it looks like we need that game, to possibly win the Coastal, everybody's going to show up, and you're, it's going to be just like Notre Dame when Virginia Tech was two years ago. So if we, if our season really boils down to two games, if, if, and I'm going by what the fans are saying, Rhett Lashley improves our offensive production and gets us over 30 points, we're averaging, say, 30, 35 points. If we're averaging 35 points a game next year, as everyone seems to think we will, I don't see who we lose to. I mean, and I'm not saying that. And, and now, now let me let me say this. Now, when we get to the ACC title game, I doubt we beat Clemson. I mean, look, Trevor Lawrence will be in his third year. Justin Ross will be back. Joseph Ngata, Frank Gladson. We, you know, they they're going to have to replace some offensive linemen, but their defense is going to be a lot better because those guys that played this year will have a year under their belt. And then they got a monster freshman class coming in. So do I see us beating Clemson for the uh, Coastal next year, for the ACC title? No. Do I see us playing in the Coastal, winning the Coastal and playing against them? Yes. But that comes with a caveat. Right now, we are in the same position we were when Manny took the job over this time last year. We don't know who the quarterback is. If we get consistent game manager quarterback play, we can beat everybody on our schedule except Clemson. Can you believe it's NFL Conference Championship Week? Heck, there's going to be some good games, especially that Packers 49ers game in San Francisco. I mean, I've been a big fan of what the Titans have done with Ryan Tannehill, and now they're going to play KC in KC. Super Bowl is going to be exciting, man. I've been excited by these playoffs, but. Time's up for two of the teams playing this weekend. You still have time to feed your fantasy fix with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, throw, and catch mean more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game quite like having a free shot at over $750,000 with your first deposit. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's some extra cash to play with throughout the playoffs. Download the DraftKings app now and use code RUN. That's R-U-N. 
For a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500 on your next deposit. New users, be sure to enter the code RUN during sign-up, and you'll also get a free shot at over $750,000 with your first deposit. That's code RUN, and you can get a deposit bonus up to $500 only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Well, I'm glad you brought up the quarterback because that's what we're going to transition to next. Um, obviously, there you know, was the story that Barry Jackson and the Miami Herald put out this weekend that I think sent the fan base into a tizzy uh, regarding Jaron and a lot of the things that we've talked about on this podcast and on yours, frankly, for the last month. You know, you were the one who brought up the fact that he missed curfew before the FAU game and the weed smoking and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I've talked about how toxic the quarterback room was, his relationship with Dan Enos, yada, yada, yada. Um, first thing I want to address with that story, because to me, you know, I could have written that story last month as well. And I didn't because in part, I think that's sort of a internal team issue. You know, pot smoking is legal in quite a few states. It's mm-hmm. probably going to be legal in this country at a certain point. And mm-hmm. Within the next 10 years. Yeah, and I and I think, you know, Jaron served a suspension, right? He's done that in the past. Other guys have been suspended for similar uh, issues. Um, the one interesting thing in the article that I did not know that Barry reported was <clears throat> the drug policy as far as the first time that you get caught smoking weed and how you're not necessarily suspended, but the second time you are, and the third time it's a multiple game suspension. Um, I wanted to ask you, because <laughs> I know what era of uh, a Canes football you played in. When you read that story and you saw the reaction of the public of, oh my God, Miami has a drug problem, your response was Kelvin Harris? Stop that. <laughs> First of all, let's go take it a step further to party culture. Look, I've been I've been involved in nightlife industry for a long time, twenty some odd years. You know, from advertising, I did promoting, all that, and you know, I know most of the sub promoters on South Beach. You know, in the urban nightlife industry, um, all the years I've been going out there. There's this one particular cat, G, who went to Florida, and um, he's the concierge for all the. The, the, the NFL players now because when he was at Florida was when Tebow and those guys were winning and so you know he knows all those guys and hey man he's he, he's always told me like yo that cat there man he always out in the club or this cat here so you know it's like you would know who's out and we've you know over the last I want to say 10 years, we really haven't had a lot of go-out guys. The AQM dude was a go-out guy. Yeah. Kwame and lo- Yeah. And a couple other guys. Juwan, well, I'm really Juwan Young. You know, Mark Walton was a go-out guy, but Mark Walton had dog in him. And he's an example of how we were. Mark Walton, I have no problems with him being at uh, take one or the men. You know, and you know all the strippers knowing him. Now, mind you, we see a different Mark Walton that graduated. But Mark Walton practiced hard. He watched film. He had he had that inner fire that you look for. You know what I'm saying? Uh, most of these kids don't have that. 
And on top of that, most of them don't have the desire to be on South Beach. For one, unlike us, they can't get in free, most of them. <laughs> so <laughs> that changes it. Now, there's a couple guys that do go out. Hey, it's just, it is. It's college. You know, The only problem I have with them is, okay, and then for, as far as the weed smoking, I mean, look, everybody, every 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 team in Division One has the same issue. Yeah. I think the thing is, be smart enough not to get caught. Because, I mean, you know, there's a group of, like a lot of teams in the league don't even trip on the weed. You know, some of them do, not necessarily because they think it's a bad thing. It's because if you come into the league and the program, you don't have any leeway. The first time you get clipped, you're out. And then that means you're hurting the team. But these kids, weed ain't the problem with them. It's, it's, um, detail, right. you know, the little things like watching film, you know, um, staying after practice, working on your craft, you know, uh, taking your opponents. But this Jared thing, um, there is, I, 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 I think, you know, there is a leadership problem. Right. And we've talked about that. Your quarterback has to be your leader. And, you know, I don't want to hold a weed against him, but I have a friend who remained nameless, who was a great game player, had a great, pretty, <laughs> pretty damn good pro career, who is, in my mind, the greatest herbalist of our time. No one on that team combined smokes more weed than this dude has in his lifetime. <laughs> and he told me, he had a problem with the quarterback smoking weed. Right. And, you know, he gave me some reasons, and, and it made sense. Because your quarterback has to have all his faculties. Uh, and, you know, at some point, I think some, some people, you know, weed slows them down a little bit. And they, you know, get a little... You need your quarterback to be precise with his decision-making. And Jaron already had a problem. Uh, reading coverages. He doesn't need any deterrence. And on top of that, um, I just think, you know, if you look at the history of quarterback, they talked about Joe Burrow. He spent all of his time over at their facility. You know what I'm saying? Trevor Lawrence. Uh, we can go down the list, even at UM. Um, hell, Brad Kaya. I'm, I'm going recent. Brad Kaya, Steve Morris, Corey Harris. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it shouldn't be something that happens in the quarterback room. Your quarterback shouldn't be skipping curfew and getting in trouble for weed. It just That's not the guy. That's not what you need out of that position. You need leadership. And, and the bottom line is uh, Jaron has slipped in, in those areas. <sighs> slipped. You're being generous. <laughs> well, either way, I, I think the whole point of that story, I think, obviously, Barry's a good journalist. He's got good sources. A lot of the same people we probably speak to. And, you know, to me, I think it sort of had this reaction, at least from the public, where everybody's like, oh, my God, I had no idea this was going on. And this is terrible. And this is the reason why we suck. And I guess the whole party, quote unquote, party atmosphere, I don't think it's it shouldn't be interpreted that way. I think you have a quarterback who is just not a good enough leader in off the field matters and. 
you know, that's why Miami's looking for a grad transfer quarterback right now. And that's why they're optimistic about Tyler Van Dyke. I mean, Jaron Williams has basically lost his spot. And, you know, I talked to a, a couple former players over the weekend who actually told me that for the offense that Miami's going to run, they all feel like Nikosi is the better leader and the better quarterback for mm-hmm. what they're going to do with the spread. So, you know, Jaron's just not as mobile as Nikosi. He's not as elusive. Doesn't make as many plays on the run. And so, um, you know, if I think if Manny Diaz can ever forgive him for his previous mistakes, maybe Nikosi Perry gets a shot at it. But Listen, if, if Bubba Basler can forgive him, I'm sure Manny can. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna keep that off the podcast, I think. <laughs> um anyway, Mike Zimmerman, you got any questions about what we've talked about so far? I, I, I guess you know, one of my questions is at, at what point does you know, regardless of how talented some of these kids are, at what point does the coaching staff just has to get rid of them? You know? Right. Like like I, I understand that, you know, there's a balance. I think, you know, you can have a good time. You're still in college. That's not a big deal. But you also need to put in the work and show that you actually care about playing football. Um, and, and the fact that we haven't seen that, you know, do the coaches just need to, you know, get rid of that toxic toxicness, excuse me, uh, in, in the locker room? Yeah. I And I think that's what a lot of fans want to see. They want to see Jaron gone. They want to know why he's still here and why Manny hasn't booted some of these guys off the team. Here's the response I got when I asked that very question to a parent and a player. You ready? They said, who the hell else are we going to play a quarterback? (laughs) Uh, That was the response as if it's, you kind of have your poison with Jaron and your next level of poison with Nikosi. And they're not even talking about Tate Martell because as we've talked about on this podcast many times, Yes, as 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 Kelvin refers to, they're never going to play that guy. So, um, and they shouldn't. So I think you know, for the people who are like, well, why isn't Manny kicking these guys off the team? I think Manny was trying to give Jaron a chance to figure himself out and straighten himself out because he did show at times when he was on top of his game that the offense could be very good, whereas. I think Nikosi, because of what he saw from him the year before when Mark Richt was around, I think that's just something that Manny can't get over. And maybe he'll have no choice to do that, especially if they don't get one of these grad transfer quarterbacks like Anthony Brown out of Boston College or De'Ara King out of Houston or any of the guys that they're going after. But I think that's why you haven't seen these guys just booted off the team. And, um, you know, you kind of have to go with the horses you've got. Yeah, I think um, I think Anthony Brown is a fallback. If we go with Anthony Brown, that shows you they really are trying to get rid of um, Jared. Yeah, but I would bet that De'Aaron King is the target, and if not De'Aaron King, it's going to be Tyler Van Dyke. Right. I I agree with you. Um, one guy who they are trying to go after, that's uh, also a grad transfer, is Quincy Roche, who took an official visit this weekend to uh, to Coral Gables, left without committing, and I've actually got sort of a direct line to Quincy through his brother, who I've been talking to behind the scenes, 
And here's the latest intel I got from last night because I don't want to. Straight off the presses. Straight off the presses. I don't want to give you false information. But essentially, this is what he said. If I can find it, his text message. I got about 8,000 of them in here. Here we go. Um, He told me that it looks like Ohio State is out. He's still trying to see what Auburn is going to do. UNC is still trying to get him a scholarship, and Rutgers is still in the running also. So, Actually, he declined the Rutgers visit. That was uh, today on Twitter. There you go. So I think Miami right now, I mean, here's the background with Quincy Roche. He's one of the best pass rushers in the country, um, and if Miami could pair him with uh, Greg Rousseau this season and some of the other uh, up-and-coming you know, rush ends and Jalen Phillips and Scott Patchen. I mean, you really solidify yourself as one of the best pass rushing teams in the country. The issue is, I think Miami is really his second choice. They're kind of the girl he, he, he would marry, but only because the one he really wants is not there. And that school is North Carolina. For whatever reason, he wants to go play for Mac Brown. And my understanding is North Carolina doesn't have a scholarship for him. Now, could that change? Could they run somebody off? Could something like that happen? Absolutely. I think North Carolina would be crazy not to take this kid. But I think right now Miami is going to win by default because some of these other schools don't seem to be stepping up and and doing what what Quincy wants. Um, Kelvin... Let's shift the conversation to the offensive line because you and I had a long conversation about this and and Coach Garen Justice, who I just wrote a story about for The Athletic. Um, I know you didn't like my story. You gave me a, what was it, a C minus? C minus. Yeah. I'm actually leaning towards a D. Yeah. You, you, you keep hating on my story. Um, man, you and Mike, you and Mike, man, your your effort is Jaren Williamish. <laughs> um. I know you're just giving me a hard time, but you you like Garen Justice quite a bit, and I, I'm really starting to come around on this guy, especially after talking to two of his former players. Uh, one of them, who was a starting center at UNLV, Sid Acosta. The other one was his starting left tackle at FAU, Reggie Bain. And, you know, the one area where I think, you know, Miami has upgraded is um, – not just in terms of the way this guy teaches, but personal relationships. And that was really the crux of my story, which is, you know, this guy's wife, uh, who's a very good-looking woman, by the way, oh, if you happen to see on Instagram. He his coverage. <laughs> um, she, she bakes cookies for these offensive linemen uh, every Friday before games on their travel day. And, you know, it's just part of this, like, wholesome family atmosphere that uh, – you know, coach wants to sort of build with his players, and they all love him. I mean, he takes them out to eat. He takes them to water parks. They come over to his house. They hang out. And I, that, I think that was certainly one element that was missing with Butch Berry the year that he was here. I think he was a good teacher, um, but I think he didn't necessarily show enough patience for some of the guys who didn't get what he was teaching, which is why you only saw a, a six-man rotation on the offensive line. Um, But he also, you know, there were no parties at Butch Berry's house. There were no uh, trips to the water park. Um, 
And I think in today's age, these players need a coach who they really feel love them and really is it fully invested in them. And I think that's how you sort of get the max out of these kids because now you know, now they know rather that you're fully invested in them. There were a whole bunch of other X's and O's stuff that I know you like about Garen Justice. Uh, Kelvin, what are your thoughts on the hire and why do you like it? I think it'll be a good hire. Um, I think he'll um, he'll help improve the tackles uh, a lot. Uh, a little technique change. And the communication part is key. And I, I think, you know, from having a lot of friends who are coaching and just, you know, interacting with some of the high school kids, you know, here in Fort Myers and my friends that are coaching high school, you know, here and in, you know, South Florida and other places in Texas, you, um, you, that, that communication is key because a lot of these kids, they're kind of jaded coming to you and, you know, some of them, a lot of them don't trust you and you got to build the trust and, you know, First thing he's got going for him is he's bigger than all of them. He's six, he's six eight. Yeah. Second is he he, he had a pretty good playing career at West Virginia. He was you know I believe all American. He was definitely multiple year all conference. Yeah, he was captain so, and a three year starter who was on the Sugar Bowl winning team. I think in '03 mm-hmm. or '05 for West Virginia, where they finished number five in the country. Yeah, so he's he's had some success, and then you know uh, he's been fortunate enough to get tutored with Bobby Bowden and, uh, you know, learned a little bit from Rich Rodriguez. So he should have some street cred. Now, you know, that being said, Stacy was a pretty good sized guy too. You know, Stacy was 6'6". Six, six. Uh, he, he played, you know, Auburn with Bo Jackson. Of course, none of those kids know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> and he played a little bit in the league. But, he kind of comes from a different era, um, more of a yellow from what I understand. And um, some of the X's and O's were a little shocking with him. Um, Butch is, uh, you know, Midwestern guy who had just spent the last four years in uh, the NFL. And I think his mentality was still more so NFL-based in that, you know, he gives you – he 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 came with some good uh, – X's and O's, it's just that when guys, I think, guys didn't pick it up, the the extra work as far as helping explain it to them and get them to understand it wasn't there, which I think from your research and a couple of people I've talked to, this guy's a great communicator. And for whatever reason, everybody likes him. I mean, you know, so... I mean, who's who doesn't like cookies from a hot woman? I mean, come on. <laughs> Well, I think aside from the cookies, um, you know, some of the other aspects of his game and his teaching, he's he's huge in the film study. And I know that was a concern of Brett Romberg and Bryant McKinney as far as whether or not Miami kids would do enough of that. And none of us are none, none of none of none of the kids, that I think, any position are watching enough film. And it ain't just us. It's it's a problem in today's game because of this seven on seven culture and this spread culture. Everyone and the fans are the worst at it. They think, oh, we'll just run spread and you know that'll solve our problems. Well, what happens when you run up against a Brent Venables guy who, you know, lets you go look at the sideline and get your play, and then they change their defense. Mm-hmm. 
you know, that that's what happened to the Rams last year in the Super Bowl, and it's carried over to this year. You know, in the NFL, the the, the coach can talk to the to the, uh, the the quarterback up to the 15 second mark. Well, Bill Belichick just wait to the 16 second and or 14 second, and then he just switched the defense. Now what? So you have to watch film. You can't just you know. And that was one of the advantages that LSU had last night after. Clemson came out in that three one seven. They went to the sideline. Joe Burrow, you know, was a was a was a was a smart enough kid who had spent a lot of time in the film room that they could make adjustments. You know what I'm saying? And his 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 wide receivers bought into getting better. Yep. They watched a lot of film and they worked hard. And I think that's the key. And I think Garen Justice he forces these kids to watch film. Yeah, yeah and that's he's... gonna pay off. He's kind of got a little ingenious system where not only does he make them break down their own film, but then he makes them pick a guy from the NFL, study him, and and put together an NFL clip. So he knows now by making them sort of create their own video clips, highlight clips, he knows now that they have to see it and they have to watch the best guys who who block at the highest levels and, and, and study them and study themselves. So. Another thing I like about Garrett, and this didn't get into the article, but I shared it with you on the phone the other day, is as far as recruiting, you know, and, and film study and all that kind of stuff, when he goes to a recruit's house um, or visits them at their high school or, you know, kind of goes to introduce himself, he brings a tablet with him. And he actually shows the recruit the guys that he's coaching in college. And he'll say, hey, this is film of the guy when I first got him. Check it out. Look at how they're playing. Now look what I've done with this guy in a year or two years that I've been coaching him. And I think it's it's brilliant because there's really not a lot of coaches who I think sort of show that, you know, to recruits. Hey, this is how I'm going to make you a better player. Um, and, you know, Sid Acosta, who was recruited uh, by Coach Justice um, to FAU, didn't end up at FAU, ended up at UNLV. He talked about that and just how, you know, that little approach made him really realize that Coach Justice really knows what he's doing as a coach and really can make players better. And I guess it's just something he's always done. He's he's, he's sort of tried to bring an example of the guys that he's working with. And, and so it just shows you how much film and how much of a teacher this guy really is. And I think, you know, you talk about Rhett Lashley and how exciting he's going to make the offense. I think this guy, uh, Coach Justice, he's going to make Miami's offensive line better, not only because he can coach, but because he knows how to build relationships with these kids. And, and, and really, to be a successful coach nowadays, you got to be both. You can't just be a good coach on the field. You have to be, you know, daddy or uncle Garen off of it. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Sports psychologist. <laughs> um. Mike Zimmerman, you heard a lot there. Before we wrap up the show, any final thoughts from you? Uh, I, I hope you guys are ready for the long journey because um, it's going to be a long time before Miami uh, gets to the point of uh, Clemson and LSU. Yeah, I'm with you. It, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a tough uh, off season, um, But it's going to be interesting, and that's why we love having uh, Kelvin – easily available by phone and and you know you and i always talk canes and kelvin and i are constantly on the phone and you know i almost feel like 
I feel like every time we talk, we might as well be recording because people will be interested in the conversation. We should make it a bonus wide ride episodes. But that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Kelvin. Thank you, Mike Zimmerman. I'm sure we'll be back next week with possibly some news regarding Alonzo Highsmith and <coughs> chief of staff position and 5,000 other things. Anything else, Kelvin, before we say goodbye for good? Well, I just think that, um, you know, we just need to take a step back and um, let this play out. I think um, at the end of um, at the beginning of February, when the, after the signing date, I think we're going to look back and we're going to say, okay, team's in a better situation. They made some some, some upgrades, and now let's go into off season and spring practice, and uh, you know, get better. And I think if we solidify the quarterback. Uh, position and you know Garen does what I think he's going to do with the O line. We got a shot. We got a shot. Certainly have a shot to do much better than six and seven, but uh, oh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. All right, guys, that wraps it up for this episode. We'll see you next week. Surge, surge. Championships, bid on D. Got the best linebackers in the league. Got Pig, Me, McLeod, and Shaq. Ready to knock out your quarterback. D line up, find that pressure. Turnover, change the treasure. Line them up, we knock them down. Best team doing it pound for pound. IV out here looking like wrong.